Welcome, everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. I serve Trinity Lutheran Church north of Murdoch, Nebraska, and I'm here with Pastor Clint Poppy. He serves Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln. Good to be with you, Pastor. How's it going? It is going well, and uh, I just I love this theological banter back and forth. Uh, it's always a privilege to be able to discuss God's Word, and uh, we pray that these uh, table talk discussions are helpful and a blessing for the hearers, yeah. because I know that they are they are helpful and a blessing for me personally. Yeah, it's makes dittos, me dittos. makes me sharper, makes me a better pastor, makes me a better preacher. Yeah, dittos. I, I hear you. You know, first commandment is you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Um, last week when we finished up, we were talking about the, the Bible passage in connection with the commandments. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You know, that's the close of the commandments in the small catechism, you know. And I was talking about the meaning of God being a jealous God. <laughs> and, and that was probably, uh, oh, shocking. Because a lot of people would hear, God's jealous. Well, that's not right. He can't be jealous because that's a sin, isn't it? I mean, that's immoral. You can't be jealous. Well, that's not what he means. Um, uh, When he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, it means, look, trust in me. I'll take care of you. And I'm not going to share you with anybody else. That's how much I love you. Uh, And so I hope that's helpful for people. Well, and it's a, uh, you know, we've, we've talked that the Ten Commandments are recorded two places in Scripture, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. And right off the bat in Exodus 20, uh, verses that many Christians tend to skip, but verses 5 and 6, God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me, and keep my commandments. Why is it, Pastor, that uh, so many people want to skip these words, these words of blessings and curses, when it comes to the Ten Commandments? Well, we want to manipulate God. We want to call the shots. You, you can't punish children for the sins of the fathers. Seriously, and I, that's no joke. I say that on purpose. I've heard that. If I had $1,000 for every time I've heard that, I could have retired a long time ago. God, God wouldn't do that. Yeah, he does. That is to say, when the father will not believe and trust in God, guess what? He teaches his children the same thing, his grandchildren the same thing. I've seen this in the congregations I've served. And so God just flat out says, you don't want to trust in me? Okay, I'll give you what you want as your punishment, you and your children. But it doesn't last for for a long time to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I'm going to to tell you a true story here. And I have to to clean the language up so we don't have a, a bleep here. Okay. I'll never forget one of the first calls I made when I went to uh, when I moved to Trinity Murdoch, and uh, went to make a shutting call. Never met the guy. Went to do a shutting call, and he greeted me at the door and he called me a vulgarity to my face. Never met the guy, and lo and behold, what I learned is uh, this is a man who hate always. I found out he hated the church. Always hated every pastor that the church had. And so this is an example of what God says here in Exodus 20. He punishes the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So this guy hated the pastors, hated the church. Guess what? His children did too. So did his grandchildren. And so this this longstanding name in this congregation has almost become extinct because of what God does here. 
So if you don't believe, this is what happens. But if you trust in me, and faith, of course, is the chief work of the commandments, and then you, you keep the first, as we talked about the last week, all the rest are kept, faith through faith, he'll bless you for a thousand generations. And this, this, again, that's why the catechism then gives the explanation, what does this mean? And so I want to re- go over that with folks real quickly. God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. See, people don't take that seriously. Because, no, not at all. Because at all. they're God. I'm God. I call the shots. Well, the problem is, no, you're not God. God is. And so he threatens to punish all who break these commandments, according to Exodus 20, verses 5 through 6. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. So that's the answer. That's to answer your question. And then the second part is, but he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. That's the, that's the perfect explanation of Exodus 20, 5 through 6. So the close of the commandments, in a sense, expounds upon or illustrates the first commandment. Exactly. And so we have, we have the, the bookend of the first commandment and the close of the commandments with, uh, with the bulk of the commandments in between. I think it's a, it's a beautiful way to look at these commandments this way. I was reading Can, in, can I interrupt you? Oh, yeah, It's please, the proper distinction between the law and the gospel. See, this is what the catechism is doing. The catechism is, is if, if, you, if you break the commandments, you will be held accountable. In other words, you will experience God's wrath. And if you will not trust in God, you will go to hell. And so that's to show you your sin so that you will finally confess the truth. I have not kept these commandments. I didn't want to do them. In fact, I think I'm God, and so I need to repent of that. So that what? Here's the ultimate point. So that we will then trust. So we will trust in God, as what does this mean says. We'll trust in him and gladly do what he's commanded. So that we'll, my point is the proper distinction between the law and the gospel so that we will live by faith alone in God who sends his son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. And that is the, that's the gift of the first commandment. And this gets back to the I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, if I may. Can I say more about this? Please, please. Well, so keep in mind that the Exodus passage, um, God tolerates no other gods in his face. That's literally what it says in the Hebrew. You shall have, when it's, in other words, that when the English translation is, you shall have no other gods before me, literally the Hebrew is before my face. Okay? So God tolerates no other gods in his face. Why? And this is my point. Because he has turned his face to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Okay? That's a beautiful word picture. Beautiful word picture. So. So I want people to understand it this way. When God says in Exodus, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, it means that. And in piggybacking on that, it means, so behold his jealousy for you as he good Fridayly laid down his life for you to give you salvation. And so Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians 5, which we call the sweet swap or the blessed exchange, where God made him, namely Jesus Christ, his son, who knew no sin, de-sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin, gives us his holiness, his righteousness. And there we stand before God. That great exchange is the way to understand this uh, jealousy of God, to think of jealousy as a good trait, to think of jealousy as a perfect trait. And uh, we can equate this to 
uh, husband and a wife as well. Right. Um, there is there is such a thing as a good jealousy where a husband protects his wife yeah, yeah. from uh, from people that would intend uh, harm both both uh, uh, physical or sexual harm to her in the same way a husband or a wife would be jealous for her husband in a good and positive way knowing what a a weak creature he is and how easy he is to succumb to temptation so he would she would help him avoid those kind of temptation spots she would be jealous for him to keep him away from those kind of things we can use it in a positive right. way we don't think that way very often but that's how we need to think of with regard to this uh, jealousy of god as a positive thing for us a proper distinction of law and gospel and when we have these curses and blessings i was reading in uh, uh gerhardt the uh, sermon books is that johann gerhardt and uh he makes when he he makes a huge point that whenever you have these blessings and curses that the blessings of god are the primary attribute of god the curses are only provoked because of our anger and because of our sin. God wants to love. God wants to love. That is his nature. And that's why he, that's, that's the primary thing about the law or the Ten Commandments. Yes. And that's, we, you know, when nowadays when people hear about the Ten Commandments, they think, oh, we got some fundamentalist in Mississippi wants to hang up the Ten Commandments in the county square or in the public school. And the whole thing just becomes a joke. We rarely think about God's gift of the law, the gift of the Ten Commandments for us, teaching us, guiding us, showing our sins so we can see Jesus even more clearly. Yeah. Continuing with this, then, with the first commandment. Again, God promises to be God for you in the first commandment. And, uh, again, he's given you his divine and salvific name. You see, that's another example of God being God for you. So trust in him. And let's push this even further. You shall have no other gods. Why not? Because God declares you dead <laughs> dead and alive. But, but in whom? In, in Jesus. His, yeah, in his son, Jesus Christ. God, God for you then, feeds you. He forgives you. He gives you a new mind, a new heart. Okay? Um, he gives you a new way of reckoning yourself, sinner, but forgiven. Uh, he gives you a new way of thinking about God himself and everything around you. Think again about the Romans 1, thinking differently about everything around us. Instead of worshiping the creation, now we see creation differently, not as a God or an idol, but we see all of creation as a gift from the Lord by which God gives himself to us to be God for us. That's a whole different way of viewing creation. It is. It is. And uh, I, I just love to read the church fathers in this respect. When, uh, when Gerhardt is talking about waking up in the morning and instead of cussing the birds that are making noise outside <laughs> of his window, to be reminded that the birds are singing their hymn of praise to their creator God because God will provide for them and they trust God and they sing because they have nothing else to do but praise God. Uh, when, when I heard that, 
that blew my mind. Um, especially when you've got one of those cackles sitting outside your window and just making all <laughs> kinds of noise. Praising God just in all of nature around us. We don't think that way. Let's let's push this for fun. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And then verse 2. This is a fascinating. This would be a great Bible study someday. I'm going to have to do it one of these days. Verse 2 of Psalm 19. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. I, I just that's the testimony in creation that Paul is talking about in Romans one, don't you think? Well, let's yeah, exactly. Let's say it another way. Uh, God preaches through His creation. See, I don't think we think about that. He does. This is a way that God speaks to us through His creation. Now, again, faith can only understand that properly. The old Adam won't. You see. And this is just glorious. Again, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So the Christian, the believer, the hanger on sees creation now differently and can rejoice in the birds singing in the morning. I remember when I was young and we'd sleep out in sleeping bags at night and we'd always have to wake up early before the sun came up because the birds started chirping. Now I think of it differently. Now you think of it differently. Yeah, well, I grew up on a farm, and what we heard were the lids on the self-feeders as the hogs ate all night long, and you'd hear that clanging and clanging. And after a while, you get used to that, too. But when someone would come out to visit, that's the first thing they noticed. That's the first thing they commented. And my dad would say, that's the sound of money being made right there, boys. <laughs> All right, we're going to continue this theme, but we're going to take a break. So hang on tight, folks. Again, this is uh, Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. I'm Brent Kuhlman. I'm here with Clint Poppy. We've, we've been rejoicing in the first commandment. We've been talking about uh, that God has given the Ten Commandments not to make our lives miserable, but rather so that we enjoy the gifts and the blessings that he has for us in this life, both spiritually and physically, not only just first article gifts, but also second and third article gifts, if you if you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, call me later and we can talk privately. But it, continuing on with this first commandment talk, I want to just summarize this, then we can move on. So when you have God by faith, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is the highest worship of him by faith, trusting in him, fear, loving, and trusting in him above all things, then you have every good gift from him in the way that he wants to give these gifts. And again, to repeat, if you're saying, well, what gifts are you talking about, Pastor? Here's what I'm talking about. And it goes with the flow of the Ten Commandments. The gift of God himself, first commandment. His name, second commandment. Uh, his word, third commandment. Fourth commandment, parental and civil authority. Fifth commandment, life. Sixth commandment, the gift of marriage and physical intimacy. Seventh commandment, property. Eighth, reputation. And nine and ten, being content with what God has given you. So don't covet your neighbor's stuff. So again, the Ten Commandments then guard 
and uh, protect these gifts. The Ten Commandments then teach us the right use of these gifts. Why? For God to bless us and to use us to bless other people, to be his hands and mouth to bless other people. The steadfast love of the Lord that that uh, chesed word from the Hebrew that we can't translate because there's no English word that can comprehend it. It's God's love for us. It's God's love for our neighbor through us. It's God's mercy. It's God's peace. It's God's grace. It's the gospel yeah. for you. Yeah. All right. So let's let's go to the second commandment now. So you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, every time you hear the commandments, you always have to think, uh, the positive. You always have to. And that's what the small catechism does, by the way. So in other words, you shall, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, which means use my name properly. <laughs> and uh, the small catechism teaches, uh, what does that mean then? How do we use God's name properly? Well, it flows from the first commandment. We should fear and love God. So every time you hear those words in the small catechism, you're back to the first commandment. And so now God, because you believe in God, first commandment, trust in him, now you're going to use his name properly. So we will, we will fear and love God so that we do not. Now notice, we're going to refrain from certain things. And, and Luther's pattern, which follows through with all but one of the, uh, the explanations, Luther's pattern is to tell us what we should not do and what we should do. That ties in with our understanding of sins of omission oh, yeah. and sins of commission. Those two dovetail together beautifully. Right. So we should fear and love God, again, the second commandment, so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, or deceive by his name. Well, that's a long laundry list there, Pastor. That's right. And we'll have to tear some of those words apart to, uh, so people know the difference between what cursing is and swearing. Because mo- seriously, most people don't have a clue. No, most, most people get them backwards, Even quite pastors frankly. do, for that matter. In any event, that, that's, what, that's what God wants us to refrain from. So using his name properly would be, but to call upon it in every trouble. Pray. Praise. And give thanks. So again, the second commandment is about using the gift of God's most holy name properly so that God will bless us and then use us to bless other people. This is holy living. And this is the the constant theme I want to use as we continue throughout the Ten Commandments is when we look at a commandment, all right, what's the holy living that God expects and requires or describes and prescribes for us. It's okay, don't curse, don't swear, etc., but instead call upon it in every trouble, etc., etc. That's holy living. And it's holy living again, why? Because it is living that is lived in accord with God's word that flows from faith in him, first commandment. When we hear that uh, call upon him in every trouble, that presupposes that we will have trouble in this world. Yeah. This world is full of sin. This world is fallen. And God is taking care of his children living in the midst of this fallen world and saying, uh, you know, I know in this world you will have trouble. Uh, <clears throat> John 14, uh, take heart. I have overcome this world. 
And so here, God tells us what we should do when the troubles of this world weigh us down. God is always concerned about the terror-stricken conscience of his child. And when we are stricken, when we are troubled, when we are burdened, God says, come to me. Right. Come to me. I am God for you, and I put my name on you, and you can call upon me anytime. You have that invitation. Now, the opposite of that would be that you are barred from calling upon a God's name when there is trouble. Uh, You would maybe have to manipulate the gods into noticing you or caring for you or convince the gods that your trouble was worthy of uh, the the deity's uh, time and effort. But God gives us this open invitation. And there's no, uh, there's no clericalism here either. We don't have to go through uh, a series of clerics to get to God. God says, come to me. Come to me. And that's not to disparage the office of the holy ministry, but to exalt the holy and royal priesthood. Yeah, in connection with that, you can't call upon God properly, for lack of better terminology, unless he gives you his name. Because God's just not God, generic God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So with the first commandment we observed a long time ago in another program, we observed the connection between the first commandment and the creed. So when God says, don't have any other gods, trust in me, well, which God? Well, the Bible teaches Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which the creed confesses properly, and that's his name. So then, quite naturally then, so we call upon the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how? By his name. It's interesting, too. I'll say more about that in a minute. But it's interesting that when Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father. And my point is this, is you only have access to God, the one true God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by his name. And let me illustrate this. Um, John Kleinig teaches this all the time, and I pick this up from John Kleinig, is just pretend we don't know each other, Clint. And you're on the road, and you, uh, you have an accident on the road in your truck. And uh, you're in the ditch and you're hurt. And I, you know, drive by and I slow down and I look at you, but we don't know each other. And, you know, you, you kind of get my attention by waving your arm and you can't really talk very loud because you're hurt. And so help me, help me. And, but I don't know you and you look weird. You really do. You look weird and dangerous. You got a gun because you've been hunting. And so I just keep going. But our whole relationship changes when, uh, we come, we, we meet, and I say, hello, my name is, did you hear what I just said, folks? When I say, hello, my name is Brent Kuhlman. Now, I shake your hand, but when I spoke, I gave you something. And what did I give you? The name. I gave you my name. Now, when I gave you my name, that is my way of giving you access to me. So that back to the analogy, you're in the ditch, you've been hunting, you wrecked, and I drive by, and instead of just saying, sir, now you say, hey, Brent, Brent, can you help me? Yeah, Clint, what do you need? See, you have access to me by my name. And this is my point. So the second commandment, you shall use God's name properly. Don't misuse it. So you call upon it in every trouble. You pray, praise, and give thanks when you use God's name properly, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you don't pray that way, 
you don't have access to the one true God. Do you realize that? And if you don't pray with faith in the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, same thing. You made the connection between the first commandment and the creed, and we did this uh, several programs ago. We could also take several programs and do the same thing with our divine worship, yeah. with, uh, with the holy liturgy. That's right. Because what are the first words we hear when we come into God's house in the divine service? In the in, name. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The name that God gave us at our baptism. Right. Giving us access to him. So that, that's an important point that we have to understand, that God gives us his holy name. And there's another, well, let's, that'll be another show. We'll, we'll pick that up when we talk about baptism. We'll make the connection between second commandment and baptism later. Now let's, let's okay. look, we, in the few minutes we have left, let's just, let's make the distinction between we should fear and love God so that we do not curse and swear. Let's make that distinction for everybody. So you remember, <clears throat> think about, uh, let's, let's use the example of Peter. You remember Peter denied Jesus yes. three times. Do you remember that? I sure do. And in the course of his denial, <clears throat> the text says that he called down curses upon himself and then he swore. You can read that in Matthew's gospel, folks. Okay, Just read that on your own. Now, so when Peter called down curses on himself when he says, I don't know the man, now, um, I don't know if I can say this on radio, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take the big chance here. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I've listened to the uh, Bob and Tom show on our local <laughs> channel, local town. I think, I think what you're going to say is pretty tame. Okay, well, again, the text just says that he called down curses upon himself when he would deny Jesus, which means he used God's name and used the D word. So... Literally, even though the text doesn't say it, Peter essentially said, God damn it, I don't know the man. Or, I'll be damned yeah. if I know that guy. That's exactly that's, right. That's the common vernacular that people use all the time. That's cursing. That is cursing. Using God's name to curse someone or something. You stub your toe on the chair and you curse that chair and damn it to hell for all eternity. How silly is that? Yeah. I mean, but that's that's kind of how we've been catechized by the world. Yes, you're not to use God's name in that way. Another illustration that I always like to use with the kids, because a lot of the kids where I serve are their dad's farm. And uh, so they can really relate to this, because they'll take rides in the combine. And here we are, you know, they're still combine. Sure, you know, they're, sure. They're almost done. But, you know, think about it this way. You know, the, the farmer's in his combine. He's just got a few hours left. And, you know, the... The weather prediction is, you know, we're going to get a lot of rain in the next couple hours. So he knows, okay, if I hurry, I can get it done and I'll be, okay. And lo and behold, the combine breaks down and he's all disgusted and he gets out his toolbox and he finds out where the, where he needs to repair the work and then he can get back. But as, as he's working furiously to do the repair job, the wrench slips and he cuts his hand wide open on a bolt. Now, what does the farmer say normally? Again, just run with the analogy. Does he bless that wrench? No, he curses the wrench. (laughs) But he uses God's name to do it, you see. And so he calls upon God, uses God's name like Peter did, and damns that piece of metal to eternal hellfire. And God says, don't do that, whether it's a thing or a person. Don't use my name for that. So that's cursing. Now, swearing. When Peter denied Jesus, he also took an oath 
the text says, in his denial. So swearing is taking an oath, using God's name and saying, I don't know the man. In other words, Peter was saying, I swear to God, I don't know this Jesus. I swear on a stack of Bibles, I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. People talk this way all the time. But the point in particular is using God's name. And so when you, when you take an oath and you swear and you lie and you use God's name to tell the lie, now you've brought God into your lie. And God is saying in the second minute, don't bring me into this. Don't use my name to tell a lie. Because God is a God of truth. Right. Right. Not a God of error. And that really offers kind of a bridge into the third commandment. But we're not done in any stretch of the matter <laughs> with the second commandment. We're going to have to pick that up on our next program. All right, folks. In the meantime, stay Lutheran, my friends.